This morning, God's Word comes to us from Genesis chapter 3. Uh, if you have your own Bibles, you can turn there at this time. It is also printed in the worship folder this morning. So you may choose to follow along there also if you like. Genesis chapter 3, we'll be reading the 24 verses. Now we begin at verse 1, and what we hear now is God's Word. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain shall you bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain shall you eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. 
And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Here we end the reading of God's holy word. Also printed in your worship folder this morning, if you turn the next page, uh, you will see Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 3. And I would like to read that for you at this time. You may follow along uh, from Lord's Day 3, question 6. Did God create man so wicked and perverse? The answer given, no. God created man good and in his own image. That is, in true righteousness and holiness. So that he might truly know God his creator, love him with all his heart, and live with him in eternal happiness for his praise and glory. Question 7. Then where does man's corrupt nature come from? From the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. This fall has so poisoned our nature that we are born sinners, corrupt from conception on. And then finally, question 8. But are we so corrupt that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined toward all evil? Yes, unless we are born again by the Spirit of God. Well, this morning we continue our study of the Word of God as summarized for us in the Heidelberg Catechism. We are looking at that first section, uh, the section on man's sin and misery. Uh, we talked last time about how we come to know our sin and misery. It is through the law of God. Not that the law is a bad thing. The law is good. But the law is that which points out our sin and reminds us of who we are without Christ. Uh, when we think about our sin, our misery, our fallen state, uh, one of the most obvious questions is, whose fault is that? Who is to blame for the state that we find ourselves in? We are those who often like to find somebody to blame for what's going on. And uh, children, even you know that. We look for somebody to blame. Maybe you're playing uh, in your room, and uh, mom and dad are in the other room, and all of a sudden, from your bedroom, they hear a crash. And you and your sister realize you've been playing with something and it fell on the ground and it broke and mom and dad come running in the room and one of the first things out of your mouth is, he did it! She did it! We look for somebody to blame. Somebody to point the finger at. Who's to blame for our sinful condition? Who's to blame for our sin and misery? Whose fault is it? Well, we see that finger-pointing began all the way back in the Garden of Eden. And as we look at Genesis 3 this morning, we will get a clearer picture of who is at fault. 
for our sin and our misery. We perhaps know the story well, the beginning of the Bible, the story in Genesis, how God in his power and goodness uh, created all things, created all things good. He made man in his very image. God on that seventh day rested, took delight in all of his creation. And man and his wife are in fellowship with each other and in fellowship with God. It is a beautiful picture of that, of that most intimate relationship. And then, then we come to Genesis chapter 3, and the serpent is introduced into the story. The serpent who will lead Adam and Eve into their fall into sin. Look at verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? God comes after the a man and his wife fall into sin, and God comes to speak with them about their sin. And that's when the finger-pointing begins. God says to Adam, Have you eaten of the tree of which I command you not to eat? And the man says, It was the woman! Immediately points the finger at her. It was the woman she gave to me, and I ate. He doesn't want to take the fault himself. He doesn't want to be to blame. He says, no, no, it's the woman. She gave to me, and I ate the fruit. But it's, it's, it's more than that. He doesn't simply say, the woman. He says, the woman whom you gave to be with me. It's as if Adam was saying, look, God, if it hadn't been for you giving this woman to me, none of this would have happened. It was the woman you gave to me. He points the finger past the woman and points it at God himself. That's where our confession begins in Lord's Day 3. Did God create man so wicked and perverse? Is the fault of sin God's fault. After all, he's the God who created us. He's the God in control of all things. Did God create man so wicked and perverse? No. God created man good and in his own image. That is in true righteousness and holiness. Righteousness. Holiness. Man was created with the ability to keep the law. He was created with the ability to do what God required. And yet, he chose not to. He chose to go his own fallen way. Yet he points the finger at the woman you gave to me. God, in some way, ultimately, this is your fault. This is your fault. And perhaps today... We are not so blunt 
in putting it that way. But it's so easy for us to subtly blame God for the sin we commit. We find ourselves uh, uh, hanging out with friends uh, on a Friday night and suddenly um, someone takes out some illicit substance we know we should not be having and they start to pass it around and we say, you know, God, you gave me these friends and you allowed me to be here, so, so obviously you knew what was going to happen. God, this is, this is somehow your fault. We find ourselves being tempted to a relationship in our office with a, a co-worker, and we say, you know, God, you know all things, and you put this person in my path. Obviously, this really isn't my fault. God, this is your fault. And we so easily want to, to point the finger. Point the finger not at ourselves, but at God. God, you're, you're somehow the author of this sin. We're reminded in Genesis chapter 3, we're reminded in our confession, did God create people so wicked and perverse? No. God created them good and in his own image <clears throat> with the ability to keep the law that is in true righteousness and holiness. God created man to know him to have that special relationship, that intimate fellowship that, that apparently took place previous to this, where God would come and walk with man and, and his wife in the garden and they would enjoy this fellowship. That's what God made him for. That we might truly know God, having regular fellowship with him. That we might truly love God, showing him our love through our obedience. You know, many people have asked, why? Why did God give man this prohibition? Why did God give man this test? Everything was perfect. Why didn't God just say, just keep living like you are? Why this, this one tree of which he could not eat? It was to give man the opportunity to show God how much he loved him. God had said, do this. And man is then given the opportunity to demonstrate his love by doing exactly what God said. Man was created to love God and to live with him, to live with him forever. Is it God's fault that we find ourselves in this fallen, sinful condition? No, the fault does not lie with God. As we look at this story of the fall into sin in Genesis chapter 3, perhaps there are other characters whom we could blame and point the finger at. Certainly, that's what the woman does in verse 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent. Following her husband's lead, she points the finger as well. The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. The Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God did say you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Satan comes to speak with the woman. And he comes first by questioning 
by challenging the Word of God. Did God really say uh, you can't eat of any fruit of any tree in the garden? Uh, the woman recognizes, no, that, that's not what God said. God said we could eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Satan tries to deny God's explicit command, and, and the woman recognizes that. No, she says, we can eat of any tree except for that one, that tree that's in the midst of the garden. Well, Satan, seizing upon this, verse 3, but God said you shall not eat of any tree in the midst of the garden, you shall not touch it lest you die. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. You will not surely die. In fact, he says, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will become like God. Satan does not deny the command of God. Eve recognized that. But Satan says the response, the consequence is going to be exactly opposite of what God had said. You're not going to die. In fact, you're going to live like God. It's going to be so, so wonderful. God said death, but that's not the case. Satan denies the consequence and makes that consequence look like it will be a blessing. And Satan has not changed his tactics today. Many of us have had the privilege of growing up in a church setting where we have heard the law of God. We've heard the law of God read. We've heard the law of God preached. It's been part of our life for a short time or a long time. We, we know God's law. And if Satan came to us and he said, you know what? I want you to go murder someone. I want you to go commit adultery. I want you to go steal. We'd say, no, that, that's, that's contrary to God's law. I recognize that. He doesn't come that way. Rather, he comes and he says, you know, if you do those things, it's not going to be that bad. Those, those laws, those commands are really for other people. You are strong enough. You are holy enough to be able to indulge in that sin. And in fact, you know what? If you do, It'll be wonderful. You will be like God. That's Satan's tactic. Coming, trying, tempting us to sin. Not outright denying God's law, but saying, yeah, it won't be as bad as you think. In fact, it will be a blessing. Is Satan to blame for man's fallen, sinful condition? Well, Satan is certainly the occasion of man's temptation and sin, but he's not the cause. The cause is man's fallen desire not to listen to God. Look at verse 6. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. 
she took of its fruit and ate, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. She took, she ate, she gave some. He ate because he was with her. They deliberately chose to reject the ways of God. What does our confession say? Question seven. If not God, uh, then where does man's corrupt nature come from? From the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. It is not God's fault. It is not Satan's fault. It is our first parents, Adam and Eve, who chose, deliberately chose, to believe the lie rather than walking in the truth of God. And they are our parents, our first father and mother. And through them, we inherit this fallen, sinful condition. How does our confession go on? Through the fallen disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, this fall has so poisoned our nature that we are born sinners corrupt from conception on. Now we're going to talk in the next Lord's Day, uh, Lord's Day 4, about the fairness of that, that Adam and Eve sinned and we inherit that sinful condition. We'll talk about the fairness of that next time. This morning we simply look at the fact. Through Adam and Eve, we have inherited a fallen sinful condition. My fallen, sinful nature, whereby I now freely choose to do those things which are disobedient to God. Where does our fall come from? Whose fault is it that I'm in a sinful condition? It is my fault. It is my fault where I freely give in to my fallen, sinful nature. The fault does not belong at God. The, not, the fault does not belong with Satan. The fault belongs here. The choices, the decisions that I make. This is the nature of my fallen condition. A, a condition which, which breaks that fellowship with God. A condition which, which no longer seeks to have that, that desire to know Him, to love Him, to live with Him. But my desire, my wants, my wishes to go my own way. That's the nature of our sin and our misery. That's whose fault it is. Our confession ends this Lord's Day on a sad note, on a discouraging note. After talking about the fall poisoning our nature, we are born sinners, corrupt from conception on. But are we so corrupt? that we are totally unable to do any good and inclined toward all evil? And the tragic answer, yes. Yes. Left to myself, I am that corrupt. A desire towards all kinds of evil. Left to myself, no desire for pursuing after God. Are we so corrupt that we are totally unable? 
to do any good. Yes, we are. And if the catechism had ended there, after yes, we would have been, of all people, most discouraged with no hope at all. But that's not where it ends. That's not where the scripture ends. Genesis 3 is not the last chapter in the Bible. Am I so corrupt? Am I totally inclined to do any, no good at all? Yes, unless. Yes, unless we are born again by the Spirit of God. Our God doesn't leave us in that fallen, sinful condition. He doesn't leave us in our sin and our misery. He doesn't leave Adam and Eve to wallow in their sin. But God goes to them. He seeks them out. He doesn't wait for them to come to Him. God seeks them out. And He comes and He confronts them with their sin. He confronts them that they might make confession. Again, from verse 13. Have you eaten of the true, uh, verse 11, have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? That was so they could confess their sins. So they would be able to, to confess and know the assurance of God's pardon. God seeks after them. He searches them out and God continues to do that today. For those who are lost in their transgressions and sins, God doesn't wait for us to decide to come to Him. But He in love seeks us out, comes to us, confronts us with our sin that we might make confession and know the assurance of sins forgiven. He seeks us out that He might establish that relationship with us our loving God, and calls us into fellowship with Him. We see that God so cares for Adam and Eve. He not only seeks them out to call them to confession, but God, God comes to them and He will not allow them to be confirmed in their unrighteousness. Read in verse 22. The Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. At the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way the tree of life. God says they are now fallen, they are now sinful, and if they eat of that tree, they'll remain that way forever. God will not allow His creation, that made in His image, to be confirmed in unrighteousness. So God sends them out, and God blocks the way to the tree of life, making sure that, that in the future they would not return and be condemned forever. God, God cares for their future need by sending them out, by blocking the way. God cares for their immediate needs. Look at verse 21. 
And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Man had tried to clothe himself. Back in verse 7, the eyes of both of them were open, they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. There's so much beauty in this chapter and so many beautiful pictures, but Adam covers himself with with fig leaves, with loincloths of his own making. When God seeks him out, God makes him garments of skins, a, a better covering, a true covering. Man sought to solve the problem himself by sewing together leaves. God comes and provides skins through the shedding of blood would man be cared for. Through the shedding of blood would he be clothed. What a picture of of the nature of our sin and the work of Jesus Christ. So often we try to fix it ourselves. We try to sew our fig leaves together to make things better. The only thing that makes sin better is confession and covering by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's the call of the gospel again today. Stop trying to fix it yourself. Stop trying to do that which you cannot do with fig leaves. But embrace Jesus Christ, whose blood was shed, that you might be truly clothed covered in the righteousness of Christ. That's the beauty of what God has done. Yes, the sin, the fallenness does not belong to God, does not belong to Satan, it belongs to me. The fallenness, the fault is mine. The hope is a gift of God given through His Son Jesus Christ to all who will by faith embrace Him. Oh, may God, by His Spirit, encourage us that it is not the work of our hands that will save us. It is the finished work, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Let's join together in prayer. Lord God, it is so easy for us to try to excuse our sin or to blame someone else. It is so natural for us to do that. It's already back in Genesis chapter 3, pointing the finger at others. And if we have done that or are still doing that, Lord God, if we are still blaming someone else for those things for which we are culpable, we pray you would forgive us for that and help us to see clearly that we have the obligation to own our sin. It is our fault. And yet, God, we are so thankful you do not leave us in that desperate condition, but you come to seek and to save the lost. You have sent your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord God, this morning, once again, may we rejoice in what he has done. May we rejoice in his finished work and in your love that would send your own Son to secure our place with you, to live with you forever. Lord God, bless us as we reflect on that beautiful truth. Hear our prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen. We turn in our worship folders, number 129, number 129, Thy loving kindness, Lord, is good and free. In tender mercy turn thou unto me. Hide not thy face from me in my distress. In mercy hear my prayer. 
thy servant blessed. We're going to sing all four verses, 129. Let's stand together as